I'm Katie Bennett-Stenton, a senior B2B marketer with 20 years experience across the UK, United States and Asia Pacific. Last year, I was fortunate to spend three months with Deloitte in Chicago. During that time, I was delighted to have the opportunity to spend time with a number of global experts. Throughout that period, I interviewed a range of leaders and shared their thought-provoking, relevant and influential takeaways. Now that I'm back in Melbourne, the Katie Talks conversation with influencers continues and I'm really excited about today. I'm interviewing Sean Hall, who's the founder and chief energist of Energy X. Sean, welcome. Great to be here. Thanks, Katie. Be be really interesting before we get into the questions, Sean, if you can just tell us a little bit about your background and, and what you do now, please. Uh, so I'll say that I'm on my fifth career um, <laughs> and Energy X is actually a combination of really what's gone in my, on in my life, I guess, right right from being, you know, young with separate 18. Uh, and so there's a Good diversity there in terms of everything from starting my career in fitness to advertising, being uh, on agency side, through to uh, technology, telco, and then finally HR. Um, and so what I do today uh, with EnergyX is we're a well-being and human performance company, and really what we specialise in is helping organisations identify the burnout risk that exists in their teams. And then using that data, using an approach that's endorsed by the University of Sydney Business School, actually prevent that happening. And in doing so, increase the capacity within that team, whatever that capacity is needed for, whether that's to, to grow, be agile, create, innovate, adapt, learn, whatever that's needed, that's what we have to do. Sean, this is so interesting. Over two or three podcasts I've published earlier this year, uh, this topic, energy and burnout, has come up a few times uh, just organically as part of the conversation. And I've been interested both in the fact that it comes up a number of times, but also in the feedback that I've had from, from people who have been listening. I've had a lot of people contact me in a way in, in, with quite a hushed tone, sort of feeling mm -hmm. like it's something that they shouldn't really talk about, but that it really resonated and that they either experience burnout or low, really low energy, or they're really, really worried about it. And that that's fast, that has fascinated me. I mean, it's something that resonates with me personally, but I, I was really, I was really excited to meet you and to be able to explore this in some more detail. Well, I'm not surprised to hear that. Uh, like I feel that there really just generally is a stigma around us admitting that we're not at our best. Uh, we're hearing, I guess, a lot more focus in terms of trying to um, break that stigma around things like mental health. Yes. Um, really, it's it's much broader than that, um, that we can actually be vulnerable and know that we're not perfect um, all of the time. I, I sort of talk about um, my coming out, right? Yeah, sure. You know, to talk about um, my burnout, um, or as I call it, I call it an energy crisis, um, because really what a lot of people were talking about is they simply just don't have any gas left in the tank. They're running on empty. Sure. Um, and that creates, you know, leaves us vulnerable uh, to things like burnout or, or serious, more serious issues. Absolutely. And Sean, in your, your TEDx talk, you you talk about your own personal experience. Um, be be wonderful if you could talk to us about the energy crisis that you experienced. And for anybody who hasn't watched, I really recommend that that they do. But would love to hear more about your story, please. Thanks, Katie. Um, so uh, back in two thousand and eleven, I got quite a remarkable career opportunity. So. Uh, I was at Telstra at the time and I was promoted into the role of general manager of, of brand strategy and marketing. Uh, and my responsibility at that time was leading a massive brand transformation project. So, so to take um, Telstra's brand essentially from this old, uh, I guess, publicly associated brand being the colors of the navy and orange that people might remember yeah. to a brand that was more expressive, that was more reflective of the diversity that of our customers and our products um, and, and to really change that to be in all the colors. Uh, and that meant I was leading a virtual team of about 300 people 
um, and uh, we had a shorter time frame to, to do this in because there was a real strategic need for us to be seen differently in the market with NBN sort of coming um, you know, down the tracks towards us. Sure, sure. And we knew that our customers needed to see us differently and talk about us differently. Um, what that meant for me personally was that I'd often leave work at 2 a.m., I'd be back at 6, and I sort of did this for about about six months until I had this moment, uh, which I talk about in my TED Talk, where I found myself one day wandering around the fancy accessories men's accessories, part of the David Jones store and the Sydney CBD. Mm -hmm. um, and I sort of joked that that was unusual for a couple of reasons. The first being that, you know, I don't buy $1,000 man bags. That's <laughs> not really the top part, part of the store I would spend my time in usually. Um, but secondly, what, what was unusual is that that day I had no idea how I, I got there. Um, and so I just remember thinking, you know, customers that had seen me probably would have thought I looked a bit dazed and confused actually that day, but I was actually feeling all sorts of crazy on the inside. Um, and what snapped me out of it was I was lucky enough to get a phone call from a friend. I have no idea what we talked about. All I just remember is how I felt, which was sort of stuck between fight and flight. My body was physically shaking. My mind was racing, you know, and I just knew that I needed to do something differently. Uh, and I call that an energy crisis because when I started to look for ways, I guess, to improve myself and get myself back to the Sean I, I was used to being, yes. uh, uh, a lot of men's mental health resources focused on the extremes around depression, anxiety, burnout, uh, sorry, not burnout, depression, anxiety, uh, addiction, uh, suicide, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and I knew that I didn't have any of those things. I just were, just had no gas in the tank. Um, and unless I did something, I was probably going to be a gold star candidate for it, uh, for one of those more serious issues. So that was really the start of just going, okay, what do I need to change? Uh, what, what, a, what an amazing, well, horrendous story. But I, I think the fact that, that you share it is, 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 well, can only be incredibly helpful for people. I mean, I, you know, I have only a little bit of evidence with some really strong feedback from, from people. Um, Sean, you talk in your your TEDx talk about the seven energy crisis indicators. Can you talk us through those, please? Yeah, so a big part of, I guess, getting back to myself was understanding what I had missed, you know, because you don't wake up just one day and find yourself wandering around David Jones. There has to be yeah. warning signs, right? And so I call those energy crisis indicators or ECIs. And what I guess I discovered is, one that literally millions of Australians are experiencing these. And uh, as I go through these, uh, you most people have at least two, right? Okay. When I talk, most people have at least two. Some industries based on our research now, I'm seeing, you know, um, uh, some people are experiencing a lot more. Like I recently did some work looking at millennial women and I found that one in four millennial women have at least four of these and that's really scary. Um, but what they are is the first one is, really about uh, your body not being in best working order. You know, and a lot of times when we think about wellness and well-being, we focus on the physical aspects and how we look and at the aesthetic and things like this. But this is not like that. This is not about having a bikini body. This is really just thinking if I had to run for the bus, you know, would I almost collapse, you know, when <laughs> I got there or struggle to get up some stairs, for instance. Okay. Uh, you might have an injury. You know, you could have like back issues or neck issues, for instance, have a massive impact on well-being. You could be on medication, you know, for a physical health issue. So it's just really these signs that, you know, my body's not in its best working order. And that's the first one. Mm -hmm. The second one is really just, I guess, waking up in the morning and not being that excited about what you're going to do that day. You know, that, that okay. actually there's a lack of meaning I guess, and what you are contributing to or, um, you know, and just sort of thinking, why am I doing this? Yes. You know, does it, does it have a purpose? Um, and we already know, you know, the, the quite alarming statistics around employee engagement that so few people, employees are actually really, truly engaged in their work. Yes. The next one is feeling overwhelmed. Uh, and I feel like there's a, sort of an epidemic going on around overwhelm that's not really being talked about uh, that leads to these more serious mental health issues. Um, and often when we feel overwhelmed too, we can feel that we need to change something, right? We need to yeah. do something. Nobody's telling us that. However, 
we don't know where to start. Sure. You know, it's just such an over, again, it's like overwhelming just even going out there and thinking, where, where should I start? Should I start with nutrition? Should I start, you know, with exercise? Where should I start? You know, mm -hmm. and so making that very practical for people is really important part of this. The next one is, uh, and this is quite significant for me, was around negative self-talk. Sure. So we will we'll all say stuff, you know, to ourselves that we would never say to anyone else. Yeah, we do. And when that voice, that inner mm. critic, gets louder and is happening more often than we would like, that has a huge impact on our well-being, you know, and we're just completely distracted. And I know for me, like, at that point, I... Um, you know, I was telling myself all sorts of nasty things. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the fifth one is just waking up tired. So, so few of us actually wake up feeling refreshed these days. And we know there's chronic epidemics around sleep deprivation. We've just recently seen the government actually start to look at investing in sleep uh, as well as part of their, uh, their national health strategy. Yes. So this is super important because when you think about it, you know, every day you start the day tired, you're already behind. Yeah. So even if you knew what you were capable of, of achieving, you're not going to get there, right? You're already yep. behind. So yep. that's a big one. Uh, the next one is really about emotional regulation. So being stressed uh, at little things or being irritated at little things that just get under your skin that normally wouldn't. Mm -hmm. You know, so for parents, when you've got a lot of gas in the tank and the, if the kids are acting up, <laughs> uh, you know, you can deal with it. If, yeah. if, you, if you're depleted, you feel like you're the worst parent on the planet. The house is falling down around you, you know, and, and, and we know that when we uh, are tired, our ability to regulate our emotions mm -hmm. uh, at, at work as well is impacted. So sort of joke, you know, there's times when you get really pissed off if someone doesn't change the toner in the photocopier, you know, yeah. or something like that. You just go, normally that wouldn't affect me, but today that really got to me. All my favourite baristas nodded there in the morning. Oh, well, we're, we're <laughs> getting towards the tail end of the school holiday, so your, uh, your reference to the, the, the irritation in parenting uh, resonates with me at the moment, Sean. <laughs> absolutely, right, absolutely. We, we sort of judge ourselves for that as well, you know. We do. Really and the credit comes back. And then, yeah. and then the yeah. last one, and, you know, this is tied, you know, to where we started the conversation, is just feeling disconnected or lonely or isolated, you know, in this, because when we're tired and we're depleted, when we're not at our best, often what we do is we actually withdraw. Yes. When actually what we need to do is connect, mm -hmm. you know. And so I know for me, because of the high-profile nature of my role, I was running a $9 billion brand, there's no way that I felt I could walk into my boss's office and say, hey, just been wandering around David Jones, you know, like there's there's no way I could do that. I felt like I had way too much at risk. Um, and it really took me, you know, a good couple of years to really start talking about this. And that was only when I felt like I was at my best again. Okay. Uh, and so all of those things cumulatively leave us vulnerable to, to an energy crisis or burnout or worse. Um, and as I said, statistically, most Australians will have at least two of those. Probably waking up tired and overwhelmed are sort of the ones that I see as the most common. I was going to ask if there were some that were more common than others. Yeah, and okay. then and then I and then I would also say negative self-talk is very much up there. Yeah. Because these are things that we have never been taught, you know. And they're skills, they're literally skills, and this is why it's so important for us to to view well-being as a skill, as a capability, around things that we just need to learn better about self self-management, right? But we can we can do that once we have the right education and knowledge. We can, and oh, I mean, oh, there's so many different tangents I'd like to go off on, Sean. But you you talked about this being your fifth career and the fact that you've spent a whole lot of time in the fitness industry and forgive me this is a bit of a direct question but with that background how did you get to the point where you were leaving the office at 2 a.m and and getting back super, super early right because uh, like I'll, I'll say this the irony in this right is that I spent I actually spent 16 years in the fitness industry so well forgive my directness Sean because yeah 
if, it, if anyone should have known, right, how to look after themselves, I think I should have known. And I, like that's the irony's not lost on me. Oh, I think what wow. I had to learn was that um, what I didn't know, right? So I knew a lot about, I guess, the physical aspects mm-hmm. um, of well-being around moving and nutrition. I obviously wasn't acting on that knowledge yes. at the time. Uh, but then these other factors I didn't know about what was impacting me in terms of the way I was simply managing my diary, you know, uh, or or the fact that uh, I was at the time, and like I, I will always sort of emphasize this, is I I stayed at Telstra for another four and a half years after that because I loved my job. Okay. You know, and that was because I loved my job, and but I was it was uh, it was almost like I was putting so much priority into that I was. Uh, deprioritizing the other aspects of sort of looking after myself yeah and uh and so and i i also think it's sort of the ironic thing is that with with regards to the simplest things so just sleeping well yes is that humans are the only species on the planet literally uh that don't value sleep right so okay. and so we and, and we've seen um globally that the hours that we're sleeping are actually have been declining, you know, for the past sort of three to four decades. You know, so we've made heroes of people that sort of say, you know, only get four or five hours sleep, or you know, if you're if you're sleeping, your competitors up and working, you know, yeah, all of those yeah. sorts of yep. things, which are actually just completely unhealthy behaviours. And and more and more we're seeing that sleep research is showing that just even one night. Of sleep deprivation has such a profound impact on literally every part of our human system um, from losing brain tissue to regulating our emotions to making poor choices around um, eating due to the hormones that regulate our appetite you know all of these things happen just after one night so we just really need to start to focus on the basics mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting. I mean, and, and as you said earlier, until very, very recently, this hasn't been part of our public dialogue at all. Not at all. Not at all. I think we've, I guess, almost built, you know, a system that's actually quite mechanical in the way that it sees humans, mm. you know, as, I guess, elements or uh, elements of output, you know, versus actually looking at them in terms of from a more human perspective in terms of you know how you actually build personal c- capacity in people to actually do and be more rather than just assume they're a unit of production if you know what i mean yeah yeah and and you know that also makes me think about this growing prevalence of when you talk to a lot of people how are you oh i'm so busy that that <laughs> that hero mentality of you know just the busyness the busyness so busy <laughs> Absolutely. I, I actually had a really insightful conversation around that very topic with a, a mentor of mine, who, Dr. Simon Longstaff, who's the director of the Ethics Centre. Okay. And we sort of talked about why people start are saying that, right? And a lot of it, when you come back to it, is we sort of got into this place where busyness is sort of seen as a badge, badge of honour and, and our always on nature as well as that by being accessible, you know, whether it's through email or social media, mm. that actually those moments where we receive an email or receive a like or a message or whatever it might be, uh, are actually ways in which we determine our self-worth. Yes, you know, so we get a dopamine hit, don't we? With the, yeah. Right. And so we're, we're, we're seeking our self-worth from external sources versus intrinsically. And I feel like there's been a real swing, you know, in a bad way to that. And I think especially we're seeing um, younger generations affected by this more. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Sean, let's shift and and talk about this from a more positive, impactful element, right, you know, about managing our energy, not our time. What what do we need to be doing on this front, Sean? Yeah, well, I think that is one of the most important reframes we can make, right? So time will always be finite. Yes. We can't get more yes. time. However, we can, by viewing, literally viewing our diaries as energy, determine what energizes us and what depletes us and make different, smarter decisions off the back, back of that. Uh, I think that was a big light bulb moment for me. Uh, and 
when you think about it, why I think energy is such a great way for people to think about this is it's very intuitive to us. Mm -hmm. So I can mm -hmm. ask you after any experience you have, whether that's having a conversation like this, going for a walk, spending time with your family, going shopping, or just sitting quietly alone with your thoughts. Yes. And I can ask you after that experience, did it energize you or deplete you? Okay. okay. And, and you'll just know, mm -hmm. right? You'll intuitively just know. And it yeah. can't be yeah. nothing, right? It's going to be one way or the other. It might be, you know, a really energizing thing or a little bit energizing or, or, the, or the opposite, but it can't be nothing. Mm -hmm. And once we, t we listen to that, um, you know, turning, and this is what we'll say that we do at EnergyX, is we help people turn that natural intuition that you have around how you're feeling about your energy into intelligence. Uh, and with that intelligence, with that data, then you can make different decisions. You can work out why that experience was energizing and depleting for you. That's, that's interesting. I, I r have read a bit about managing energy and not time over the last few years. Uh, after I had a virus that basically landed me in bed for three months. I, I only spent, I only got into the office once a week for about five hours, which was really debilitating and uh, quite a, well, quite a confronting experience. And I pretty significantly changed the way that I, well, focus my life and energy after that point, because I felt like I was a bit bulletproof before that. And one of the things that I changed was that I, as a morning person, get a lot, I, I am at my best in the morning. So I will do all of my my heavy thinking or writing or strategic work first up in the morning when I'm fresh and really energised. What what other sorts of things should we be thinking about on this front? Well, that's, that's great, first of all, that you're aware that you're a morning person mm. uh, because from a sleep perspective, like I, I will always say the, the two places I would get any clients to start is with sleep first. And that okay. starts by understanding your chronotype, which is what you're talking about here. So your chronotype is that you're more of a morning, morning person and therefore there'll be times of day where you're better at, you know, doing sort of analytical or insight yeah. type of work, creative work. Sure. You know, and, and knowing ourselves in that way is a great way of understanding how we can increase our personal effectiveness. You know, it's a, and it's quite an interesting way to look at diversity too, because we do have morning and night people and it's about valuing both of those equally. Sure. I'm more of a night person, right? And so if you and I were to collaborate together, it would, it's ideal that we do it almost like the, at this time that we're doing now, right? Okay. Because <laughs> our, our energies are actually, um, you know, sort of meeting in the right, right place. Yes. Okay. However, you start to get me doing this at, at at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. when you were sort of buzzing, then I would <laughs> be, a, you know, a, I'd be about bumbling mess. Sure. So, you know, I think that's one of the, the, the key things. What What is my chronotype and then designing my sleep routine around that? Yeah. Uh, the second thing is is really about hydration. So uh, when you think about this, and, and one of the, another reframe that I really talk about in the work that we do is that, we need to get away from thinking that well-being or wellness is just about the physical because most of us in the future of work, which is, you know, already here, uh, will be doing jobs that are based on our cognitive abilities and our hu very human abilities, right? So less manually based work okay. um, that would mean that we need our brains to be operating at their best. Mm -hmm. So our brains will operate at their best to connect, you know, to solve creative problems, um, to, to be creative, you know, to interact with others, to have emotional intelligence, all of those things, which are really hard to do when we're tired. Uh, and so sleep has a massive impact, obviously, on our, on our, our cognitive function. Our brains are 80 to 85% water as well. And so that has a big impact, even just a little bit of dehydration, we know impacts our clarity of thought, but also just how we feel generally. As well, so those are the two places that I start um, with people, and we've built a framework to have help people think about this that, that um, we call the four Fs, essentially. And the first F is fuel, which is the things that we're most, uh, I guess, familiar with. So, um, fitness, nutrition, sleep, recovery. Mm -hmm. So those are the foundations. And even when life feels completely out of control, they're the things that we have the most influence over. So we're energized 
when we sleep well and we look after ourselves physically, right? Sure. No brainer. Yep. The second F is fire. And we're energized when we really deeply understand our strengths. So we know what we're good at and we're able to apply those strengths for meaningful impact. Right, so you could talk about this in terms of your why, your purpose, uh, your, there's a Japanese phrase called ikigai that we talk about. Um, but we know what that feels like, right? If you know that you're really good at something, that feels good. Yep. But then when you know that those skills actually make a positive impact to someone, that feels awesome. Yeah, sure. But being able to combine those two and understand that. And then third F is feeling, which is really starts with a relationship with ourselves. So do I have a kind, generous, compassionate, loving relationship with myself? And that's the basis for these healthy, energizing relationships with the people that we care about. And that's really where that dealing with that inner critic comes in, right, that we talked about earlier. Yeah. So if we can change, um, if we can have our inner cheerleader being louder and more, you know, more often speaking to us in our inner critic, you know, we're going to be in a really good place. Yeah. And, then, and then finally, the fourth F is that it requires focus to create energy. And this is literally getting very, very practical about how we create more space for the stuff that energizes us whilst we remove or reframe the things that are depleting us. And so that's where we literally talk about when I teach people to how to manage their diaries uh, from through that lens of energy. And that has a just phenomenal impact on people straight away. This is really interesting. <laughs> Sean, you shared two reports with me that we'll make available with this podcast, but they cited that women are twice as twice as likely to suffer depression. Uh, and in a survey of the creative industry, over 73% of people wake up six days out of 10 feeling tired, which is pretty alarming. What, what's, what's this all about and what can we, what do we need to learn from it? Yeah, so I think that discovering that st statistic around women, for instance, I was really shocked. I'd never heard that before because you do see much more commonly the focus around mental health being around men. Yes. Uh, and I think a big part of that is is that men obviously take that more to a catastrophic uh, level, obviously, in dealing with that. Mm -hmm. However, uh, when I discovered that, what we wanted to do with our women's wellbeing report was really look at what data did we have to contribute to the conversation because I've been lucky enough to work with over a thousand professional women in the last 18 months, um, really supporting their well-being. And uh, what we're finding there is that on average, you know, women are only finding that they feel they have enough energy around sort of 48% of the time. So 4.8 hours out of 10 is sort of how we sort of look at things. Yeah. Um, you know, it has a profound impact on people in terms of their ability to both to be and feel successful. And so I think from the, the clients that I've talked to, one of the factors that I think is contributing to this is the number of roles or hats that a, a woman tends to play in her life. Um, okay. And the level of expectation being placed on herself, you know, so I have to be a perfect mom, I have to be a perfect um, employee at work, you know, um, I have to be a perfect wife and run the household, all these sorts of things. Mm. Um, and so, and then often feel like actually failing at all of those because I just don't have enough, you know, we can't be perfect at everything. I mean, actually chasing perfection is one of the, probably the worst depleting. Not, not a great, not a great constructive thing to do, is it? out there right and we know as leaders as well perfection and perfectionism and a leader is can be very very damaging to, to our teams yes so I, I think that's that's part of it so we really wanted to contribute to that conversation um we don't have all the answers but we definitely feel that the data is giving us some different sort of insights as to why that might be the case um and then i also work with a lot of uh, creative clients uh, because of my background in marketing as well uh, and i think that what we found there is also, the creative industry seems to be suffering depression, rates of depression and anxiety higher than other professions as well. We've found that 56% um, of people in the creative industry have mild to severe symptoms of depression, 55% with anxiety, which is double the national rate. Uh, and so I think we need to get under the layers here to really go, okay, well, how does this happen in the first place? So, for instance, my own journey was looking at those energy crisis indicators and how they had contributed to me being in, a, in an energy crisis, being burnt out um, and being vulnerable 
you know, to uh, mental health issues as well. Mm -hmm. So I think this is one of the things that we have to do. And I feel that is not so well focused on right now is the fact that we do tend to be wasting all of our attention and energy to addressing the problems that have already arisen around mental health and far less time and focus on preventing them happening in the first place. And I really feel that we need to do both. Sure. And and that's that's where so Energy X focuses specifically around prevention uh, and capacity building. Uh, and then the other fear I have, and this is probably might be quite an unpopular <laughs> position to take, but when I look at health in general and I see that we've done such a really poor job of looking after physical health and the fact that Australia is the fifth fattest nation on the planet, you've know, yeah, got 7% yeah. of people that don't move at all or not enough. And I feel, goodness, you know, we've done such a poor job with that. What makes us think we can do any better job uh, with uh, with mental health? And there's, and there's one other issue that's sort of percolating in my mind to around mental health, which is sort of a scary thing on the horizon for me, is that we know that all of us are going to be displaced in some way in the next five to 10 years around our jobs, mm -hmm. right? So some are going to be automated, but all jobs are going to change, okay? And the skills that are required from us, these human skills that we need, uh, these softer skills that we need to secure a place in the future of work are going to change. And we need to do a lot of learning around this. And so we're going to see huge amounts of people. We're already seeing huge numbers of people being made redundant or transitioning out of the workforce and these sorts of things, whether that's through their, um, uh, whether that's being forced or whether they've chosen that. And we've, I've, I found some interesting research from the University of Wollongong, which showed that people that are made redundant experience higher rates of mental health issues and not just them but their partner as well you know and so when we see statistics like five to ten million Australian jobs being displaced mm -hmm. or changing in the next 10 years that has that to me says there's a, this huge wave coming towards us around mental health that we're not even talking about right now. No we're not are we and, and I mean that makes complete sense in terms of mental health of uh, somebody who is retrenched's partner being impacted as well, because of course it, you know, if it it impact it doesn't just impact the person who has lost their job, but their but their family. That absolutely, absolutely. Um, there's actually a really interesting uh, initiative called Transition Hub, which is a partnership with WeWork, which is actually looking at this issue as well. Um, which is really worth checking out because they're definitely leaning directly into this. Excellent, thank you. I will check that out, and I think a good one for um, for for listeners to be aware of as well. Absolutely, Sean. What's life hacking? Life hacking. Uh, <laughs> so you know, one of the, I love often say like building a business and being an entrepreneur is really really hard. Yes. You do have these moments, right, where you discover something that you you didn't expect. Okay. And life hacking is, is, is one of those things for me. So when we were running our programs, uh, we, we measure the impact essentially. So going into a program, we assess people using an energy intelligence assessment. Um, as I said, that's been endorsed by the University of Sydney Business School. Mm -hmm. And then coming out of the program, we reassess them to determine their progress okay. and, the and the return on investment, right? So I've had to learn how to speak CFO language in doing this, <laughs> sure. which is not natural for a marketer, I can tell sure. you. No, well, as a fellow marketer, <laughs> I, I understand. <laughs> right. Uh, and, um, and on average, what we were able to achieve is we were able to achieve a 30% increase in people's energy intelligence and sometimes as short as six weeks. But there were, uh, which is life changing for a lot of people when you think about it, like having, imagine waking up and just having 30% more energy. It's sort of hard to imagine. Yes, but yes please. <laughs> it literally means three extra days out of 10, right? That you've got more energy. So, um, uh, but there were a group of outliers that got higher results than that. Uh, and. I was intrigued as to what they were doing and so we interviewed them and what we found and this is now what we call life hacking is that they were combining the F's that I talked about earlier into yeah, experiences 
right? So a 2F experience, for instance, is something like mindful eating, right, where it's feeling and fuel together. I'm nourishing myself, but okay, I'm actually taking okay. a bit of a time out, right, to get present and focus on the food and to slow down, yep. you know, instead yep. of inhaling the food like we tend to do. Sure. Actually just slowing down, like, and that has a bigger, you know, burst essentially of energy for that person. And then you might add another layer, like a layer of passion. So let's, if you stick with food, for instance, you know, it's a great one. You know, we know how it feels um, when we're passionate about food and we get to do that and nourish and nurture our friends or our family as we do that as well, because we're adding that feeling component as well with a connecting part and we're connecting over something that's a passion of ours. Yeah. And then if you're able to add sort of an outcome, you know, to that, um, a goal to that, uh, you know, that, that is what we end up seeing as life hacking, right? So I'm creating two or three or 4F experiences. And why this was such a moment for me is that when I asked people how that felt, they said, this feels joyful, right? <laughs> and so it's a literally a recipe for joy is if we can design for ourselves these three or 4F experiences, and it doesn't have to be a whole day full of them. You know, it's literally, if we can manage that, you know, once a day, yes. You know, a few times a week, that can actually have a massive impact on our well-being, especially if we're planning that in, right? There's a sense of anticipation and looking forward to that as well. And so this is where we say it's so simple. So often I'll coach my clients just to start their day by literally writing on a post-it note a two or three or four F experience that they want to create for themselves that day, sharing that with a friend or colleague or um, and then then checking in at the end of the day with that person and say, how'd that go, you know, how'd that feel? So it's, it's an interesting way at the end of the day that almost uh, to practice a version of gratitude around this as well. Yeah. Oh, this is awesome. I love it. I'm going to, um, I'm going to go away and start to think about how I can do that, Sean. Absolutely. It's, it's really, really good. And, and your, um, your example of, of the cooking cooking and nurturing other people uh, is is one of the, my favourite things in life when I when I actually have time to go to the market and spend a day in the kitchen and then bring together a big group of people around the table. That is, that's my that's completely my happy place. And Absolutely. I think you perhaps have just articulated better than I have ever. Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Maybe we'll do that together because that's what I love to do as well. It's just oh, dinner party. It's like it, perfect. Yeah, Favorite things to do. All right, all right. Well, you're on. We're, we're going to need to make that happen. <laughs> um, Sean, in your video, you talk about some extensive research and science that demonstrates that our brains are magnets for the negative, and Teflon for the positive, which is a bit scary, but. I reckon that probably resonates with me quite well. Uh, how talk talk us through this and how the hell we can change it? Well, the thing is that we're hardwired this way, right? So it's not necessarily. I think trying to change it is is, is not necessarily the right approach. Okay. Being aware of it first okay. of all, yeah. right, is the, is the main thing because yeah. you, we've we've been taught, you know, there's been different versions of this. I guess, uh, negativity bias, essentially, that we talk about, right? So, you know, we'll talk about how we used to be having to worry about saber-toothed tigers and things like that, and that has basically hardwired our, our brains to actually look for danger and yeah. things like that. Yeah. That's a version of this, right? Okay. Okay. And, so, and so we can't necessarily change that. And it's, it's in the same way that we can't get rid of our inner critic, it's always going to be there. But what we can do by being aware of it is we can actually, one, uh, focus on things which are uh, work to manage that. You know, so for instance, uh, in mindfulness, they'll talk about distancing yourself or just noticing your thoughts versus identifying with your thoughts. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, that are, are going past. So if you're having negative thoughts about yourself, you know, just distancing distancing yourself from them and just letting them pass. Uh, the, the reason we sort of say that our brains are, are magnets for the negative is, is, is they, that, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for danger, but they tip on for the positive, which means that that's why we need to practice these things that make that stick. You know, I guess, and this is where you see elements of positive psychology coming in, uh, in terms of really focusing on 
two things that, that, that we think make a big difference and that we incorporate into the work that we're doing with our clients is the first is, is using a positive psychology approach around focusing on, on our strengths versus our weaknesses. Yes. Right. So, uh, and this is a great way of uh, dealing with your inner critic, for instance. So our inner critic's often telling us everything that we're not. Yes. Whereas yes. the focus on strengths is the focusing on what you are. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and mm -hmm. I, I will say this for anything in life, really focus on what you are, not what you're not. Right. Focus on what you have, not what you don't have. You know, so get rid of that FOMO stuff and the comparison stuff yeah. to social yeah. media and things like that. That has no positive mm -hmm. impact on you, right? Focus on what, what you have right now. And that's where gratitude comes in. And the research around gratitude shows that even just practicing for three minutes a day for a week has positive benefits for up to six months. All right, and this is where we need to go, okay? Because we have that negativity bias, we literally have to focus on the positive in order to really feel the impact. Uh, and the, the stuff with uh, character strengths is a great free tool uh, that you can do at a site called viacharacter.org, which is a positive psychology tool which identifies your character strengths. Okay. And the, re the research behind character strengths shows that when we are aware of and using our character strengths every day, we're six times more likely to be engaged at work and we're three times more likely to report having an excellent quality of life. Wow. And what, yeah, it's amazing the impact. This is the most powerful uh, positive psychology intervention um, that we have available to us. And it's very simple. And what I love about character strengths is they're very human. They don't put you in a box. Okay. As other uh, assessment tools or behavioral tools tend to do sometimes. Yes. Uh, and so they're very human things like creativity and bravery and perseverance and prudence. Um, appreciation of beauty, you know, these sorts of things that are very human that when we apply them, that's just a version of ourselves. Um, most of us, when I talk to people, don't really understand what their strengths are. And if you are having a strengths-based conversation, it might be just once a year. Sure. Yeah, sure. Which is hardly enough to embed it and really make you focus on it. Totally. Oh, I'm going to check the afternoon. I think... Uh, I think um I think my afternoon's looking up to be very positive. <laughs> Sean, you've got a really awesome exercise that helps people shift their mental energy in ten seconds. Yes. What's that all about? So this is uh, so this is drawn, I guess, from my first career in the fitness industry, and okay. and I and I, uh, I I taught dance um, for a. a number of years um, and it's really linked to this practice of gratitude right so if you think you're grateful for and transfer that feeling into a shimmy and I'm shimmying right now which is why this is so funny and and so and so sometimes gratitude can feel a bit heavy right and so what we say is let's think about what makes us shimmy yeah right? and that could be a little shimmy that you feel on the inside where you're just like that was good, you know, <laughs> or a big shimmy that you witness when you've you know, got a big celebration, you know. Yeah. And so we just like to talk about, you know, what makes us shimmy and then obviously to get those shoulders moving as you do it. Well, and, uh, okay. and, uh, and so I <laughs> have a hashtag. <laughs> the hashtag is shimmy day, you know, and so I'll, I'll often share my little shimmies, you know, and often like these are shimmies and others too, right, and just yeah. sort of noticing when someone's, proud or has achieved something and just sort of checking in with them because it you know when you hear someone talk about what mate what they're grateful for yes. or you feel that yourself right the more that we can we can share these and, and make this a, a part of the conversation the better <laughs> shimmy a day i'm gonna check that out so can i get you to shimmy right now do it for me move the show <laughs> yep <Come on>. okay <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you can hear it just as well as this is only audio, but if you want to see this happening, you need to watch Sean's video. <laughs> it's awesome. He's TED Talk. Sean, we could keep talking for hours. I've got one more question. You, you We've right. talked mostly about individuals and how, and that, well, and some of what we can all do to look after ourselves better. And you touched on it a little bit at the start, but I'd love to just briefly touch on the macro element of what you're talking about and you know your video outlines the fact that 
energy crises cost the Australian economy a staggering $266 billion a year, which equates to 16% of the economy, which is absolutely staggering. Why are we not talking about this more? <laughs> That's such a good question, right? So I, this was this is an interesting thing for me because normally I'm very, you know, I have a very positive view on things. I'm very optimistic. Yes. And I, for my TED talk, I just thought, I wonder if I reversed the 4F framework, what would I find? Right? So instead of focusing on well-being, the outcome of my focus on the, the risk, that unwellness, essentially. Yes. What would I find? And so uh, when I looked at just very publicly available research as, as well, uh, uh, I found that there were seven epidemics, essentially, that are impacting millions of Australians. And so from a fuel perspective, completely different. From the cost of, I guess, the most dysfunctional versions of relationships, mm -hmm. uh, so um, domestic violence and then also child neglect and abuse. And then from a focus point of view, I looked at stress and mental health. Okay. And so seven epidemics that are impacting and very related in many ways, right? And so these are, and these, and that, that figure was those all bunched up together, right? So those seven epidemics costing the Australian economy $266 billion a year. And when you think about it, the, where we started this conversation, those are the extreme versions, right? So we're not even talking about the loss or the cost of what happens before that when people are not at their best around yeah. presenteeism or burnout, chronic stress, all of those things which are not necessarily captured um, yet. Uh, and why I thought this was very important is if you again look at a macro level, we've seen a stagnation. What contributes to that? Which is this weight of unwellness? Is this yes. these seven epidemics? How can we grow? How can we create, innovate, adapt? All of these things that are required for an economy to keep uh, in place where we can diminish the production and actually do all the things that are necessary to compete on the global stage. Sure. Wow. It's definitely something that needs to be much more of the in the public dialogue, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I think this, this is where we, we go, you know, will we get more focus on this when we really look at what the business case you know, is around this, that this is really important because what we are finding is that when we do our assessments, we ask people questions from two contexts. So where they're at today versus where they'd like to be. And our job is simply to get people from A to B. Yep. Um, but this language, I guess, or this idea of capacity that people have, and often you'll hear that word used in the negative. I don't have capacity for this. I think I've almost only ever heard that talked about in a positive context. Right. And what, what, what people are saying that I'm very, very confident that what people are actually saying based on our data is that what they're saying is my capacity is diminished. Right. Mm -hmm. This is not my true capacity. Right. Because actually where I see myself, which is where the, where I've set my goals is my true capacity, my potential capacity. And so my current capacity is diminished either by factors that are sort of outside of my control. So this, the system impacts of culture, leadership, that type of thing, yeah. what's going on more generally in my life. And they're also diminished by the fact that we don't necessarily understand uh, the behaviors that we need to be doing actually to look after ourselves. Right, so okay. we've never been taught how to be well. No, no, no. Well, right. most no, most of no, most of those um, those seven factors that that um, you outlined at the start are, are not things that we are taught or that are really discussed at all. No, and and what's scary in this, and then you relate to this as well, with, 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 is that this is then now starting to impact the next generation. You know, yeah. so 
we already see that 20% of children are starting school obese. 20%. You know, so we're literally, 20%. So, so imagine if 20% of the population actually never know what it feels like to be well. And like have that a, is yeah, scary. Yeah, that is really scary. And, and having grown up with those skills of eating well and moving right. lots. Absolutely. That's 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 literally what we're looking at. I think this is why we're seeing these, you know, starting to see these indicators where actually potentially life expectancy could go backwards in this next generation if we don't do something about it. That's um that's cause for well, a sleepless well back <laughs> going back to what we talked about earlier, a sleepless night or <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't it just? <laughs> well, Sean, we could keep talking for hours. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've taken a whole lot of notes with some research that I plan to go away and do myself this afternoon. I've, I feel a whole lot more empowered and that I have a whole lot more knowledge around looking after my energy and my wellness and um, listeners are going to have that very same benefit. So I'm really grateful for your time and very much enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for helping me start my day with a shimmy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thanks, Sean. And thanks for listening to the Katie Talks podcast with me, Katie Bennett-Stenton. If you enjoyed this episode, please review me on iTunes so that we can you can help others find this great content. I have some excellent thought leaders coming up in the series. Subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And I love feedback from listeners. You can find me at Katie B Marketing on Twitter or Katie Bennett-Stenton on LinkedIn.